For Monday, the 6th of January, I'm Randy Coure, and this is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Hope you had a wonderful holiday season and a great start to 2020. Thanks for tuning in. We have a jam-packed show today, which will include uh, what we have uh, scheduled for our next episode, that being on the 6th of February, on Facebook, on Twitter, at What's Up Podcast. Of course, What's Up Podcast uh, is with one P. So... When uh, this show was put together, I for one was especially looking forward to this episode as we will be discussing not only the past year in sports, but the past decade. Not sure about yourself, but I for one always look forward to seeing what TSN and Sportsnet put together, uh, plays and moments of the year. So when in Rome, do Roman things, i.e. put a sports year in review show together. More importantly, I thought it was really important uh, to have a couple of different dimensions when having this episode. I, for one, uh, know you will be bored to tears if I did something like this solo. So I had a couple of experts to give their opinion, which I'm sure uh, sure that you're going to enjoy their their thinking, their mindset, and what they have to say. Of course, you're familiar with Tony Antonio. He is a frequent contributor to What's Up the Sports podcast. Tony... Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. We're allowed to say that still, right? I think so, yeah. Now, okay, okay, now I don't want to make assumptions here, but I don't know if you are, in fact, Catholic, if you are Orthodox. Did you celebrate Christmas? Yeah, Greek Orthodox, yeah. We uh, we celebrate 25th. There's other people in our, like, uh, the old calendar. I think it's, what, January 9th, January 6th. I don't even know. Is it today? Maybe it's today. I I can't remember, honestly, but it's, it's later, like early January. Okay, well, we're all about inclusivity here on What's Up the Sports Podcast, so if you have not uh, experienced the joy of Christmas or the holidays, Hanukkah to whatever uh, is special to you and yours, uh, I hope you have uh, the experience the very best for the holiday season. So as uh, you may be aware, especially when we talked in our first episode, Tony and I, we had crossed paths at Seneca at York back in 2003. We were college classmates in Seneca's uh, radio broadcasting program, and the two of us did a sports show, which was uh, called Third and Long. Tony was the lead host and did an amazing job, and I, along with uh, classmate Matt Alberga, were the, lack of a better term, 2 and 2A. We also had somebody who was a board operator. He was a segment host. Uh, which actually he uh, contributed and did a great segment called What Up, which was always, was like a rapid fire sort of concept. Really great. He was also a part-time contributor. But hey, I, Tony and I both haven't seen him since 2004. Lo and behold, one Facebook message and he agreed to join the two of us. So three quarters of uh, Seneca College's third and long show back in 2003 is in the house. Dan Legere is with us. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey now, Randy. D- Woo! Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was quite the build-up. Four Christmas is on January 7th, just for reference. Yeah, I, I know. Well, I know I went a little long, but I mean, this is this is a big moment. I mean, the three of us are here together, and uh, hey, I did try to get a hold of Matt. I don't know... Uh, what he's up to and if he's doing well i hope uh, obviously the three of us hope that he is matt if you do come across this 
you know, give me a shout. We'd love to have the the whole team back together. Uh, so, Dan, listen, uh, the floor is yours. What have you been up to? Oh, boy, I've been uh, been living life. A, a decade and a half will kind of do that to you. I've been uh, here, there, everywhere. I've uh, built up a nice uh, corporate career doing uh, communication, storytelling, and uh, creating digital imagery for people to enjoy and stories to, to tell and to, to laugh and share. Uh, and I've got a beautiful son. He'll be four in February. I've been, I've been married seven years. Very nice. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, just uh, waking up each day and uh, trying to do my part and having a good time doing it. Terrific. Terrific. And, uh, hey, yeah, it's been a long time since we... Uh, the three of us and the rest of our class uh, went to the bars at York University because Seneca at York didn't have one. Uh, but uh, I digress. Yeah, no, we uh, definitely come a long way, and I'm glad uh, both you and Tony are well. Dano, when Tony and I did get together, we did uh, take a second to acknowledge uh, a top moment from our third and long show. And uh, Tony, uh, his top moment was sharing with us the Jalen Rose story as he was a, uh, an intern at the Fan 590. Jalen Rose was traded to the Toronto Raptors, and of course, uh, the three of us with uh, Matt, we didn't know that this was going on. Uh, I mentioned something about thinking that the Cleveland Cavaliers could potentially uh, make the playoffs after drafting LeBron James. Of course, they were last in the NBA. Love to hear what stood out the most for you. Of course, this uh, will mean absolutely nothing to anybody who's listening to this podcast. But hey, that's okay. That's fine, Dano. Uh, uh, hey, and you also had a great. Uh, you also did spend some time with Chorus Radio, and you know would like to think that uh, your experience with Third and Long and Seneca College uh, did lead to that, lead to your career in communications. What uh, stood out uh, the most for you, Dano? I consider this question when you proposed it to me uh, a couple weeks ago, and like you, I want to keep the audience in mind and you know, going into stories about you know uh, personal uh, friendships or certain things that people reached out and did. It kind of means nothing. You know, you sort of alluded to going to the bars at York University, and I've always considered myself part of sort of on the on the fringe of the group where I was I was always welcome in, but I always kind of kept my my distance. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, and the same way kind of with the show where there was the three of you that were heavily involved in the show and I was happy to just contribute uh, here and there and say my piece and go home. Um, but, you know, I remember the prep the most. I remember the four of us in a very tiny studio at uh, York University at Seneca College and uh, blasting it's going to be me by NSYNC to sort of pump ourselves up and jumping around and just being three young guys who were uh, sort of at the precipice of their careers and following their dreams and you know, we're, we're all of different ages, so I'm sure some of us were at different points in our lives. Uh, for me, I was just, you know, I was fresh out of high school, and I had landed an internship at a radio station, so I thought that I was, uh, you know, going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't know if you guys came back at different points of your lives and maybe started again, but, um, you know, just the, the being in that room taught me a lot about camaraderie. It taught me about trusting people. It taught me about listening. And you're right, and those skills did serve me well the, during my time at Corey's that, you know, inside the work world and outside as well. So, you know, you guys were uh, pivotal roles or played pivotal roles at a meaningful moment in my life. And uh, I look back on it fondly and it always makes me smile when, uh, when thinking about, uh, you know, the sort of goofy things that we would uh, do on the radio to entertain ourselves and, and the three or four people listening uh, who were on cats at the time. Well, uh... <laughs> so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic to be here with you guys today and, uh, you know, the memories are nothing but fun looking back. Uh, there's nothing sports related per se, but uh, it's all uh, it's all good, warm stuff in my heart. 
experience was awesome. The experience was awesome getting to know everybody. I came in very shy at the beginning because I was an older guy. Like, I was older than, I mean, other than Patrick Malkin. I mean, I think everybody else was around the same age, right? So um, I, I felt like it took me a little longer to fit in with everybody. But when I did, it was, you know, it was awesome. You know, and also, uh, if I could just quickly add that, our class was just so... Uh, so much of a representation of what this country is about. I mean, here the three of us are, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the three of us are being first-generation Canadians, but we just meshed so well from, and, you know, had uh, influence and in our, our ethnicity from all over the world, you know, whether it be that from the Caribbean, Southeast Asia, uh, you know, Europe, and, and so on. And it really, really did change. And, you know, I couldn't agree more how incredibly shy I was when I started that, uh, started at uh, Seneca at York, but you know, like Daniel said, we all had dreams of uh, going into journalism, especially the three of us. Didn't work out, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely uh, better for that uh, that experience at Seneca. And hey, it's been so many years removed, and uh, I did not really appreciate that dig about the four people listening, Daniel, because I, for one, know in my heart that you still have uh, all these roots in Maple, Ontario. And that uh, there, there's going to be hundreds, dare I say thousands, of people near Canada's Wonderland who is going to be listening to this podcast. And I can only think the sky is going to be the limit because of you and your uh, incredible influence of uh, those living in Maple, Ontario. The, uh, the skies will be bright azuri tomorrow and there will be lots of uh, fist pumping and meaty uh, eating and celebration of this uh Reunion, I you. Okay, great. Well, don't pull a muscle if you're doing fist pumping. I mean, we're not we're not in our twenties anymore, okay? No, no. Full guide and, and essential oils from, from here. <laughs> yeah. I just I just did half an hour of like that Doctor Ho's circulation therapy stuff, so uh, that shows you where I'm at right now. <laughs> Getting old is not fun. Now, love, I love my hoe. <laughs> So uh, with that said, guys, let's, and uh, what an incredible segue, by the way, but let's uh, go into this top five. So basically, uh, just to let the audience know of how this worked, the, the uh, three of us uh, collaborated and uh, put this top five together, and uh, essentially we're going to work our way from five to one, and then we're going to go uh, move into the athlete of the decade. So let's start with number five, and the three of us did have a difference of opinion, and uh, Dano, you were uh, captivated by... Uh, Vladimir Guerrero and his uh, appearance in the home run derby, uh, the derby uh, where he didn't win but had an incredible performance at 91 home runs. But uh, Dano, uh, what was it about Vladdy and his experience and his uh, performance at the home run derby uh, uh, took to your attention? Yeah, so, so when, when putting together my top five, I tried to, again, keep the audience in mind and knowing that this, uh, you know, podcasts are not... Um, Segregated any sort of um, demographics, uh, geographical demographics, anyway. So you know, people across the country can listen and even worldwide. So to find moments that sort of uh, unified a country, or at least made the a good percentage of the country stand up and notice and then cheer for, are kind of hard to find in Canadian sports because you know what happens in Vancouver, Toronto doesn't really care about. Toronto only cares about Toronto, and you know, and, and all over the city, everybody wants their own moment. You know, nowhere on anybody's list was the Winnipeg Blue Nationally, you know, to put it bluntly, nobody really cares. But in Winnipeg, it's such a big deal. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to, 
to, to make a stories that had a national appeal to them. And Vladdy was one of them where Toronto was coming off of, or the Blue Jays were coming off of two strong years where they made it to uh, uh, the ALCS a few years, or one year anyway. And they had some, some good playoff runs. They had uh, some really good moments and Jose's bad flip and uh, other things like that. And then they went through a really monumental change where they got rid of all their stars and they got this fresh crop of, you know, quote-unquote surefire prospects and Vladdy and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and all these guys. And Vladdy going to the Derby where his father had won before as a 19-year-old kid or 20 now um, and really captivating and really taking those first two rounds and making people change the channel if they weren't already watching. And it became the focal point of uh, uh, news talk radio for the next few days anyway and at water coolers and you know, around dinner tables. So that was a moment that really made people stand up and, you know, A, remember that the Blue Jays are still here, see the potential in these kids, uh, you know, and, and really take a moment like the All-Star break and the home run derby, which is such an American, uh, you know, pastime and such uh, such beloved. They just love watching people sock fingers. It's not that Canadians don't, but we got to steal the show for a second, and, and, that, and that rarely happens, especially in baseball. I thought that was a really cool moment for Canadians. You know, it, it, and, and and we've been sorry to interrupt. We've been hearing about Vladdy since, you know, during those 15, 15 16 years too. I mean, this, this, Vladdy just didn't come out of. They were talking about Vladdy from the time he was sixteen, seventeen, when Alex Anthopoulos got his hands on him finally. So, I think that makes it even more special. Everybody was aware of this guy coming down the pipe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Normally, when we have a big build-up and. How did I know that there was some reference yeah. to the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there had to be. Of course there is. One of the most underrated talents in the history of hockey, by the way. Yeah. Well, uh, he, he, he could sure dive, uh, especially when he did that during the uh, Rangers, uh, while he was with the Rangers, uh, Alex Kovlov at least. But, you know, in comparison to what Vladdy did during the home run derby, during the, you know, the uh, mid-season uh, uh exhibition the uh, classic that was uh, for his sport of baseball of course Vince Carter did the same thing all those years ago winning the slam dunk competition uh, we could see the comparables uh, so incredibly easily Vince at the slam dunk competition Vladdy during the home run derby was there if you had to choose between one or the other do you think one stood out more as integral to uh, the progression of said athlete, Vince, or Vladdy? Yeah, it, it, it's obviously Vince. And, and I know that I just kind of yeah. went out a few minutes there where Vladdy was this moment. But in, in the grand scheme of things, we're still talking about Vince's slam dunk uh, championship. And it was and it was more important because the Raptors were still a very young franchise and nobody really took them seriously. Where Toronto Blue Jays have been around, they've won championships. And not to say that they're you know any sort of... Uh, they're, not, they're not royalty in the MLB, but uh, they're... It's sort of been around for longer. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, so I thought that Vince for sure was a, a bigger moment out of the two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Vince, Vince was the shit back then. You know, like it, it was, he was front and center, sports center, and not just TSN sports center, ESPN sports center. What did he do tonight? What kind of dunk did he throw down? So that, that was one of the more most anticipated slams of competitions at that time because of Vince. Um, that was the coming out party, not just for Vince Carter, but also for the attention that basketball is getting in this city now. It was kind of like that that was the moment that, you know, yeah, we have we have somebody to hang our hats on to. Yeah, and maybe it is a little bit unfair to compare compare uh, Vince to Vladdy. I mean, Vince Carter took an unknown franchise, a new franchise who didn't accomplish anything or win a playoff series, that being the Raptors, of course. And uh, the Raptors, I mean, they started to win playoff series, but it was a, a, pretty much a decade after the fact, of course, winning the championship in 19, where the Blue Jays did have a history. Uh, but as uh, Daniel was saying, uh, Vladimir Guerrero was especially pegged as one of those guys to take uh, the Jays to the promised land. So that was Dano's uh, choice for uh, the number five spot. Now, there was also two other instances. And uh, Tony, Alfonso Davies, of course, uh, was born in Liberia. He emigrated to Canada and has uh, essentially become the focal point for men's national soccer. He started his career with the Vancouver Whitecaps and now uh, is uh, making quite uh, an impression uh, in one of the most uh, storied franchises in European soccer, of course, that with Bayern Munich in Germany. Talk a, a little bit more about why you selected Alfonso Davies uh, as uh, the number five uh, sports moment this year. Uh, because it's, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, this kid grew up in Vancouver, Vancouver Whitecap Academy. That's where he's trained. Okay, and he was sold to one of the biggest clubs in the world for $22 million. It's an incredible story. And, you know, he got there, worked his ass off, spent some time on the reserve team. There was a managerial change as well as well at one point in Byron. So I thought to myself, uh-oh, the other manager was interested in Usually what happens is another guy comes in and probably won't take to him as much. And then you always wonder in the back of your head how much chances the Canadian guy will get, right? Um, he is one of the best young left backs in the world right now. And I say that with supreme confidence. He is absolutely tearing it up. The team loves him. The world is getting to know him. And in typical Canadian fashion, we're not giving it the attention it deserves. And that's why I put it on my top five list. Not just that. It's, you know, I love soccer and and it's an incredible story, and we should be proud of it. And look what he did to help uh, Canada beat the U.S. for the first time since Vietnam uh, a few months ago back in October. <laughs> I mean, the story is incredible, and typical Canadian media, they're not going to focus on soccer. It, it makes me sick. The fact that he never even got attention for Lou Marsh, I'm not saying he should have won it, but I mean, not even to be in the discussion is, is gross to me. But uh, I'm not surprised. But it, it's just, it's an incredible story. I mean, this kid's story was good enough to be on that Nike ad uh, with Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, it's not good enough to be talked about in his own country. The rest of the world is getting to know him. And so, hopefully we, we start doing it locally here, too. 
So, uh, Dano, I guess, uh, you know, Tony makes a, a good point. Of course, uh, Bianca Andrescu did take the country by storm. She did win Lou Marsh. And we'll uh, definitely be talking about Bianca Andrescu in a moment. But Alfonso Davies uh, did uh, catch uh, the attention of one of the top teams in Europe. However, Bayern Munich did not win, as far as I know. Maybe they did win their club. Uh, I don't even know if they won their domestic league. They probably did because it's Bayern Munich, for God's sakes. I mean, who's going to stop them? I mean, Schaltenberg or whatever they're... uh... And there's the problem. You don't even know what you're talking about. Well, I mean, well, whatever, man. I mean, like, I didn't didn't choose Davies. So, uh, Dan, where do you think uh, Alfonso Davies uh, ranks in terms of what he accomplished? And how integral is he to the success of the national team for Canada? Uh, I think you guys are both right. I know that that's not good radio to sort of be wishy-washy, but to, to, to veer up or not to veer up to, to, back, to back up Tony's point, where this is a, this is a really significant moment in Canadian soccer history, and it'll be looked upon that way in a decade or two or three from now. Like he'll be the trendsetter, he'll be the guy who broke it open, broke it wide open for other guys, and really put Canada on the map as a viable option for training. Most importantly, you know, it doesn't really matter so much what our international team does, uh, but you know. To, to get guys in world-renowned systems and playing well and, you know, repping the flag is going to be more important in the future than it is right now. Um, but uh, but if I go back to, to Randy's point where soccer is just not the focal point right now, even with, um, uh, you know, so some really strong showings in the MLS from, from some really good clubs and, some, uh, you know, players choosing to be in Canada rather than going to Canadian, or sorry, uh, American cities is, is significant too. It shows that, you know, we're, uh, we're a, a legitimate player on the world stage, but we're not there yet. And, you know, we, uh, we're still a hockey nation. We're still, uh, you know, everything else kind of comes second after that, unfortunately. Basketball is kind of, you know, making its mark now with the youth, and maybe we can thank Vince for that for what he did a decade ago. So these things kind of take time, and, and this is a moment that, that we'll look back on and talk about it's important more to understand it more in the future than we do right now. Of course, uh, Team Canada on the uh, men's side of the World Cup only made one appearance in uh, World Cup history. They did not score a goal. They did not earn a point. Uh, that in Mexico, 1986. And as they may, uh, they still have a light flickering in terms of uh, making the 2022 World Cup. Of course, 2026, uh, Canada has uh, guaranteed an entry, of course, uh, co-hosting uh, World Cup 26 with the United States and Mexico. So very quickly, uh, you know, just to round out the fifth spot for uh, the, our top five here on What's Up the Sports podcast. I found it interesting as we were communicating back and forth between the three of us, both of you... Oh, when uh, you were harassing me? Yes, that, that is exactly the time. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to take a screen capture maybe of the Facebook message. If you boys don't mind, maybe I could throw it on the uh, social media channels and see what kind of you know back and forth three men either in their 40s or near their 40s can go through about something completely inane when we should be working full-time and supporting for our loved ones. But uh, you two were against my choice for the uh, top five moment, and that being the St. Louis Blues winning the Stanley Cup. So here is a team who was dead last in the NHL as of uh, this time last year, exactly this time last year, and in a league where it was so hard to... Uh, make your way up the standings, and especially when you're in a last-place position like St. Louis, they won the Stanley Cup, and you guys don't think it's uh, a big deal at all. So uh, whoever wants to take the floor first, 
What the hell is wrong with either of you? Let me jump in here, Tony. Go for it, Daniel. I, 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 I agree 100% with your post today on uh, Facebook. It's, it's not that nobody cares about the story. Hockey, hockey fans do very much care about the story. And everybody, you know, I'm sure when, when the Leafs struggle, I know Tony's a Pittsburgh fan, but here in the city of Toronto, when the, the Leafs had their struggles early in the year, you look to St. Louis as a model to say, okay, it can't be done. You know, the hole is not as big as you think it is. Just you know, play your game, do your part. And it was it was an exciting ride to see the, to see the Blues do that. Uh, there was a lot of guys in that team that really deserved their cup. The Bowmeister and the Bozak and uh, O'Reilly. Uh, Greenpin was a great story. So there was a lot to like about that story. But it's not a Canadian story. There, there's outside of the players or the management or the coaches or the owner of the team being Canadian. It's an American city uh, that won a cup for you know its fans and its uh, fan base. It had nothing to do with uh, Canada per se. Uh, so if you would, I, I'm still a little bit unsure as to why you put this on. It's why do you consider this a Canadian story? Well, I, I think exactly the proof is in the pudding itself. The Every person that I uh, that you mentioned between Bo Meester, O'Reilly, Petrangelo, Bennington, these guys are from Canada, right? Yeah, so if, if, I, if Bayern Munich win the Champions League, is it a Canadian story? If, uh, you know, is, if, if, is, is the impeachment trial a Canadian story because Ted Cruz was born in Canada? Like, okay, okay. For, for, first, first thing, first things first, uh, I'm pretty sure that guys like Lewandowski and Muller and so on are not really from Maple, Ontario, where you're from. So now that's number one. Number two, just be, yeah, you can't, you can't have, throw any dart on the board and think it's a parallel. Like, I, first of all, I, I can't wait to post, uh, what we were discussing on Facebook because I did find your Ted Cruz being kept from Calgary. I, I thought that was hilarious, but wrong. And what I, I do think is that because it is hockey, I mean, that's the bottom line. It affected so many uh, sports fans, especially hockey fans. And uh, Tony, I know that you disagree with me, but please jump yeah. in. Uh, hey, I mean, wh- the Stanley Cup spent a lot of time in Canada over the summer. But that's as far as it goes to me, too. I mean, that was a huge moment for the city of St. Louis. That was their moment. That was their first Stanley Cup uh, in their history. Um, yeah, we had a lot of Canadians on that team, but I, that's as far as it goes for me as well. Like, it, it, it's not a Canadian story. Okay. okay. But, but, but that's right, can Every year it can be a Canadian story. When, when Chicago won for the first time in 61 years, Pays being the captain and uh, I forget who was the coach at the time. Was it Quenville? He's Quenville, Canadian. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, that's another great Canadian story. Corey Crawford and that. And it, it just it feels like uh, you're kind of robbing St. Louis of their moment because Canada's our sport. We can let them have this cup. Well, okay, yeah, and and I'm giving it to them. I'm pretty sure that uh, the good people of uh, the Show Me State is not really listening to What's Up the Sport podcast. Hopefully, one day, maybe if you guys continue to uh, to join me, we could take this to the next level and move, uh, you know, spitting chicklets aside and uh, all these other uh, great podcasts, and uh, maybe be in the relevant conversation. But here's an example, and I want to get Tony into the spotlight on this. So this is not a Canadian story, blah blah blah, as you guys were mentioning. So, should Sidney Crosby be considered for the Lou Marsh? Because, I mean, he did all most of his accomplishments in Pittsburgh. Like, what's the difference between St. Louis and Pittsburgh and winning the Cup and St. Louis not being a Canadian story? But to that, Lou, uh, Sidney Crosby, I'm sure he's won the Lou Marsh as top Canadian athlete. He, he has, and I believe Jordan Dennington finished third in this year's. Uh, I believe so. Both, second or third, so... It's 
two completely different things. Those are Canadian athletes being recognized for their accomplishments. You know, it doesn't matter where they're playing. I mean, Bianca won. Essentially, she won uh, the Lou Marsh for winning an event in New York. Let's just say, right? Like it, she also won in Toronto. She did win in Toronto, yes. Let's let's be honest here. If she just won the Rogers Cup in Toronto and didn't win the U.S. Open, do you think she would have won the Lou Marsh? Well, she also did win Indian Wells, so I don't think she'll win, but she'll probably get a couple of votes. I, you know, I, she would be up there for sure. She'd still be top three, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure for sure. But I think it's two. I I think it's uh, apples and oranges. It, the Lou Marsh, you're recognizing a Canadian athlete for an accomplishment. You know, we shouldn't be recognizing an American team for winning the Stanley Cup. Okay, you know what? Fair enough, and uh, definitely valid both of your uh, both of your points. So uh, maybe what I'll do, and uh, we'll uh, put and a small poll. Off. That's what you should do. Well, uh, well no. <laughs> what? We'll uh, we'll put a poll up. We'll uh, say, uh, you know, we'll we'll ask, uh, you know, the four people as Daniel mentioned. Uh, you know, do you think Stan, uh, St. Louis winning the Stanley Cup is a Canadian uh, boldface, italicized, underlined Canadian sports story? We'll uh, put that up on Facebook, on Twitter. Give it a find at What's Up Podcast. You know, help me prove these two suckers wrong. So I that got, I got a question, Dan. Do you think do you think the same four do you think the same four people who listen to Third and Long are the same four people? Who this is What's Up the Sports Podcast, Tony, not Third and Long. No, no, the same yeah. four people who would listen. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please you continue. It, you think it's the same four people listening to this now? Yeah, we might as well say hi to Sarah and Nick Dundas. And, uh, <laughs> no, what I think, we're probably well over you know, 10 or 11 by now with this podcast, so we're, we're trending upward. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, especially if you uh, still went to uh, Club 107, Dan, like, definitely there would be hey. like 30 people that... Uh, uh, from that club that you know, I, well, you knew everybody back then. You were a, you were a legend all those years ago, and I'm sure you still are. I understand either? When, no, I, I don't. I really don't see it that way. And I kind of got I got really red faced within the group when you guys were setting up that uh, Christmas gathering for our old radio class. Yeah. And and when Rob Chasky or, or Rob Daniels or whatever you want to call him, Bobby D referred to me as the legend. I was like, who's the legend? I'm not the legend. And everybody was kind of surprised. Oh, you were a legend. My head up and said, I. I, I didn't see it that way. I thought I was uh, to myself. I, think, I thought that we had a good time, but I had no legend status. No, I, well... You were the light of the group. Like, you were the shining light of the group, for sure. Yeah, That's so you, funny. I really didn't see it that way. But you had, you definitely had a way with words. You were a smooth operator, t- uh, Dano and Tony. Like, you know, if, I, I hope I'm not going to get you in trouble, but, I mean, you were... <laughs> I'll never forget uh, how much of a uh, the most incredible wingman I was able to experience, like see. Now you didn't help me out, and I pretty much hate you for that. But uh, you uh, definitely had some uh, some cachet uh, back in those days as well. But listen, listen, let's uh, let's uh, let's get back to uh, everything, uh, the topic at hand, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about how much uh, of a, a man whore Tony was uh, if there if there's time. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, I cannot confirm nor deny. Okay, fair I, enough. <laughs> I got you, I got you. So, uh, the number four moment uh, in uh, this uh, particular poll that we uh, built and contributed on, it was definitely a unique sighting and experience here in not only the city of Toronto, not only in Canada, dare I say, but throughout most of uh, the sporting world. And that was as when 
uh, Toronto Raptor fans and Canadians all together were just on pins and needles for the decision of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship in the middle of June, and it was up until the 4th of July where Kawhi Leonard made his decision uh, choosing the Los Angeles Clippers to uh, instead of the Toronto Raptors as uh, he was a free agent after uh, the 2019 playoffs. So, guys, that was the most interesting and the most unique sporting moment. Uh, the entire country was basically at a standstill. Uh, Dano, if you wanted to start first, talk about what your experience and uh, what your thought was immediately when uh, during that whole process of Kawhi Leonard deciding on whether to stay or go from the Toronto Raptors. In a word, I was annoyed. It was, it's the most ridiculous thing, and I put it on the list because it made so much headlines, and because it, you know, again, goes and goes back to my criteria where it sort of captivated a nation. But for everybody to care if this guy was staying with the team or not is, is ridiculous. He's sort of uh, my thought process is nobody nobody appreciated Kyle Lowry as much as they do right now. Sort of overshadow. Kawhi's a great player. There, there's no denying that. But to 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 make it. A championship all about him takes away from Gasol's great defense or Lowry's hustle or Norm Powell's, uh, you know, whatever. This was a team that was built to win as a team. It wasn't just Kawhi. It wasn't LeBron taking Liu and Tony on his back to the NBA Finals. Uh, you know, this team sort of stuck it out through load management. They stuck it out through injury, and they, 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 they wanted the team, and for everybody to... You know, put so much stake into this guy coming back because what? Because we don't have other stars that we can play. We don't have good players here, not just with the Raptors, but you know, playing in Canada in general. It was kind of, uh, it was insulting to other athletes. It was, it was silly for everybody to care that much, and uh, I'm glad that it's over. I'm almost a little bit happy he didn't stay here. So, uh, Tony, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts were uh, as this was going on, but I actually did think that there was a chance that. Uh, Kawhi would stay with the Raptors. You know, uh, he hit that shot, of course, against Philadelphia. He won a title. Uh, he did seem to open up more uh, to the media, of course, but we wouldn't uh, have uh, all access to the media of San Antonio. Were you surprised that he uh, decided to move west to L.A.? No, and I I agree with you, Randy, that I think there was a chance. I think there really was a chance. I, there's more to Kawhi Leonard than what we see. I think he wants that um, that leadership role. He wants to be the man. Um, I think there was a chance as well, but I, I love what Dan's point was about how disrespectful it was to the other team with all the attention on Kawhi, because I agree. Like in, in Game 6 especially, if it wasn't for Pascal, if it wasn't for Kyle, if it wasn't for some nice shots, but it, and throughout the playoff run too, you had some big moments from the other guys that helped them win the championship. And I I was annoyed as well, and I was glad it was over. I was absolutely disappointed that he didn't choose to stay because I think the Raptors have a better chance winning the championship again with Kawhi than they do now, for sure. I mean, how can you, how can you lose the best play, especially in a sport like basketball where, you know, one or two guys make such a huge difference. So obviously you lose the best player. Your chances of winning are lessened. But, uh, you know, you nailed it, Dan, with, like, the disrespect to the other players. I, 
just won the championship with these guys, and you don't have a problem if I trade Pascal Siakam for Paul George. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that, and I wouldn't do it either. And I'm like you, like I would have preferred him to stay, but he's gone. It's over with. There was a great ceremony on uh, December the 11th. That was closure to me. And now we sit back and see what Masai is going to do next to help this team win another championship. Yeah, and we talk about great moments in Canadian sports history. Didn't it feel like the championship was a great moment in Kauai history and not even so much Canadian or even Toronto history? It just it felt like there's a little bit, you know, like, and I agree with you, Tony. Like, there's no denying his skill. He's a great player. They obviously won because of him and not in spite of him. And, you know, they probably would have done the same or at least been in contention this year again. But, it, you know, it, it, he's one guy. When, when Ken Griffey left the Mariners, they won the most games in, in baseball history. You know, one guy does not make a team, and, uh, you know, and that, that includes Kawhi. Well, hey, uh, you don't have to go as far back as 2000. Take a look at this past baseball season where Bryce Harper plays his first year in the, for the Philadelphia Phillies. Lo and behold, who wins the uh, uh, World Series but the Washington Nationals. So, you know, uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I don't know if I could... Uh, I... Basketball is different, guys. We know that. Like, you have one or two star players on the floor. They're on for the majority of the game. It's a different animal, so you need those guys because they're on the floor. They impact the game pretty much from start to finish, whereas, you know, Sidney Crosby plays 19, 20 minutes a game. That's a third of the hockey game, right? Uh, so you need more of a team thing there. But, you know, what the Raptors are doing right now is incredible, and there's and they're, they're well coached. And, like I said, I would have preferred this, him to stay, and run it back another year, but hey, not at the expense of trading away the guys you you just went through to war with. I mean, I hate using that term, you know. And you would have no problem watching those guys get traded after you just won a championship. No, thank you. Of course, uh, the Raptors were uh, in 22 uh, regular season games, were 17 wins and five losses without Kawhi Leonard. Of course, uh, as uh, Kawhi. Uh, really took to uh, load management and that whole thing being a, a phenomenon, which obviously did start with uh, the Toronto Raptors. Very quickly, guys, I really was disappointed in how the media was covering this whole thing with Kawhi Leonard. And I don't know if it was a Toronto thing. I don't know if media would uh, take it to that level in the major markets, Chicago, New York, Miami, and so on. You had helicopters uh, following him around. You had fans uh, setting up shop at uh, outside of the hotels where they believed uh, Kawhi Leonard was uh, in negotiations with uh, Masai Ujiri. And, you know, it just reminded me of, you know, the, the rumor uh, mill uh, circulating. Like, I remember when uh, the Blue Jays were apparently in consideration for you, Darvish. Uh, now, uh, take it to the present day, uh, uh, media is on this uh, belief that Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to uh, leave Milwaukee when his contract is done uh, and join the Raptors. Do you guys think that that's a Toronto thing? Or no matter, you know, enter, uh, you know, you could uh, talk about any major media market, uh, if the situation was similar, that media would follow uh, said star athlete uh, just the way that Toronto media and Toronto fans did during Kawhi. Uh, I don't think it's uh, mutually exclusive to Toronto. I think it just depends on the person. I'd imagine that in, in Cleveland, uh, up until the decision, that, that there was all kinds of crazy things happening in the media. But you know, before Ronaldo leaves, 
uh, Real, I'm sure there's all kinds of speculation. Uh, Neymar and uh, Barcelona, same thing. Uh, so, you know, sports fans are sports fans, and I've learned that over the years where people that hate the Leafs who live in Toronto like to uh, pinpoint the fact that the media is over-obsessive and the fans aren't knowledgeable, which is a bad combination. Uh, but it's really the same thing if you go anywhere else. There's, there's, there's talk radio everywhere. There's a need to sell papers. There's a need to get viewers for TV shows. Uh, opinions got to be given, and sometimes you kind of you know make stuff up to get people excited. And um, so I, I, I don't imagine that happens all the time. But for the right situation, I'd imagine that it would happen just about anywhere. Yeah, this was a rare situation. This was um, this was a beast, a massive beast that was just controlling. You know, Kawhi Leonard was controlling the narrative, um, and and now there, there isn't an off season that is more eventful than the NBA off season, right? Because players have so much control, and uh, you know, just feeding the beast. I mean, this was this was what the NBA wants. So it, it's not just what the media and what fans, you know, it's what it's it's what the NBA wants, and if they want it to look that way. They're going to make it happen. And this is the way they did it. So uh, our number four moment uh, here on What's Up the Sports podcast, taking a look at the 2019 year that was in the world of sports. Uh, We determined that Kawhi Leonard and the decision that he uh, made and dragged on, of course, choosing the Los Angeles Clippers was our number four moment uh, from the past year. So on to number three, fellas. And it was definitely... A very uh, educational, I don't know what the right word uh, to put in terms of the National Hockey League. Uh, You think about hockey, especially in this country, you think of the likes of Don Cherry. And it was this season uh, leading up to, of course, Remembrance Day, where uh, Don Cherry made some uh, some comments uh, towards uh, the wearing of a poppy and did seem to single out uh, new Canadians, especially with regards to uh, the lack of uh, people wearing uh, the poppy itself. And it just uh, snowballed into a whole whack of things. Uh, Dano, Tony and I uh, felt compelled to actually do an emergency episode of What's Up the Sports podcast, this in the light of the Don Cherry uh, firing. Love to get your thoughts. Uh, and, uh, you know, what did you think? Did you think Sportsnet made the right decision? Yeah, the... Uh... The thought of pulling together an emergency podcast kind of makes me chuckle because I can. Is there, is there <laughs> well, with the four people that were listening, I understand that. But hey, Tony did it, and we, he did it. He did a very good job. Right now. <laughs> I don't know. What the, kind of, Let's get a hot take. take. I don't because I know you guys. Yeah, we need the hot take. We need to go. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely thought it was the right decision. To be honest, I thought it was a, a, a few years overdue. Um, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one to say that Don Cherry's not entitled to his opinions, and he's not entitled to say those opinions. But on a national broadcaster, you know, where your marquee is Saturday night and you build your whole weekend around kids and kid-friendly uh, inclusivity and going to communities, uh, you know, where there's Aboriginals or there's new Canadians or there's, you know, old Canadians or whatever it be, and just celebrating hockey as a unifier for the country. Don Cherry did not exemplify that at all for years. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a knowledgeable guy. I'm not saying he's, he's done by any stretch. He, uh, he obviously knows his hockey. He's earned his keep in his game, and you know he, he sort of uh, deserves uh, whatever reputation comes along with that. You know, he was—he's uh, a guy who made no bones about who he was, or what his opinion was, or what his political beliefs were. Uh, he had no uh, qualms uh, calling uh, 
Toronto City Councilor's pink commas or uh, uh, tree hugging pink commies because they didn't vote for Ford back in 2010. Uh, you know, and uh, you know he's made a lot of the negative remarks towards uh, francophones, to uh, women, to guys who are advisors, to Russians, to Finnish players. You know, if you weren't a good quote unquote a good Canadian boy, you weren't uh, you weren't allowed in Don Cherry's world. Um, and you know, and demographically, I fit into his audience. So you know, I'm. Uh, I'm in a position where it might surprise people that I that I disagree with him, um, and did for a long time. But um, yeah, I, I thought that, that that he had run its course as far as that medium goes. Uh, it wasn't the right fit for what the sportsman was trying to achieve and what the NHL wants to convey uh, as far as marketing the the game and growing it globally. He's just sort of uh, he's a stick in the mud and he's like a throwback to the way things were. Uh, the NHL is a big boys network anywhere or an old boys network, but that's a different conversation for a different day. So yeah, so I thought, I thought it was overdue. I thought Rob McLean handled it uh, very poorly, even in the aftermath. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw when they had their all black panel the next day and they were, you know, discussing oh, yeah. uh, you know, black. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was painful. It was, it, was, it was obvious what they were doing and it was cringeworthy. And the, the CBC and Rob McLean uh, in their sports net should be better than that. Everybody should be better than that. Uh, not to say that we're not allowed to have our opinions, we are allowed to. But if you're going to speak for the country and on a national platform, um, you know there, there are certain guidelines you got to play by because we're not in we're not in the market to uh, fuel hate or to create divisiveness. We're you know we're just celebrating uh, you know a bunch of grown men putting a, a puck in the net that we're trying to have some fun doing it. And we want to make people believe that everybody can do it and that everybody's welcome. Uh, so it was just the wrong message at the wrong time and. Um, you know, I hope um, I hope I hope he finds his his footing if he wants to continue broadcasting, and you know he, he finds his voice again, and he's gotta he shouldn't be afraid to say what he feels. But uh, yeah, in that platform, it was overdue. You know, Tony, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I I guess I wasn't really surprised when uh, sports fans they took every opportunity to. Uh, declare their intentions to boycott Sportsnet. You know, uh, Sportsnet uh, posted something about basketball. They said fire Don, uh, fire Ron McLean. They said boycott uh, Rogers. And after a few days, I found that the uh, narrative had uh, dropped, and that the uh, that the outcry and that the disdain and that the uh, anger towards Sportsnet really subsided. What did you think? Did you think the same way? I think it played out the way I expected it to play out. There's going to be a lot of angry people because Don Cherry has gotten away with this stuff for years. We, but, the, but the bottom line is we live in a different time now. I think everything played out exactly the way it was going to. You know, there were going to be people just absolutely incensed, and you watch YouTube, you look at, if you go through Twitter, here's Don Cherry saying, you people 15 years ago, and, and it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but you just can't say it. And we we live in hypersensitive times, like we like we talked about, Randy, and on our emergency podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, like we talked about, it is it, a sign of the times. It's a different time. It's just there's, you know, I hate it, and I I told you this. I hate the sensitive times we live in right now. But it is what it is, and we have to we have to respect when people get offended. You know, it, it's, it just is what it is. So, I mean, uh, to that, and love to uh, hear what you guys think in terms of 
the after effects of, I don't know if it went hand in hand or if there was, um, you know, a correlation between the firing of Don Cherry. But uh, of course, a number of uh, NHL coaches have been under review or even lost their jobs, especially towards the treatment of players. It start, started with uh, minor leaguer uh, Akeem Alou, who did spend some time um, and of course, he is in the American Hockey League, so he is a part of the uh, uh, NHL system to some degree. But uh, it first started with the firing of Bill Peters, and obviously, you know, you could be a, a coach of Calgary, you could be a coach of St. Louis, Arizona. This was uh, something that really did uh, capture the attention of uh, hockey fans. And of course, uh, Bill F Peters was fired for uh, racist remarks that he said a number of years ago towards Akeem Alou when they were in the Chicago Blackhawks system. And then it snowballed to Jim Montgomery of the Dallas Stars being uh, fired for alleged mistreatment of players. And Mark Crawford, who led this country's first Olympic uh, NHL uh, Olympic team, to uh, in uh, Nagano back in 1998. Here's a coach that did have a resume who did win Stanley Cups. Did he win a Stanley Cup? I'm pretty sure he won a Stanley Cup. But uh, anyway, uh, guys, uh, how much of Akeem Alou uh, do, uh, I guess, hockey players have to either thank or just uh, simply are they going to roll their eyes or like our coach is going to roll their eyes to this whole thing about Akeem Alou and everybody else who did come forward, Johan Franzen, in terms of uh, the treatment of players. Because what my point is, is that there are going to be coaches out there who are have always said that hockey players are now getting soft. And whether they want to admit it or not, I could only assume that there are a segment of coaches out there, amateur or otherwise, who uh, say uh, Akeem Alou is, you know, he can't handle it. Uh, I think, first of all, we should take the Bill Peters thing and make it completely separate from, you know, whatever Mike Babcock did or whatever Mark Crawford did. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's on a completely different level. Bill Peters deserves to lose his job, even though it's something that happened 10 years ago. You know, you can allow him back into a locker room to play and, and, and want to play for a guy, uh, a guy like that. That's number one. Number two... Again, it's the sign of the times. It's, it's not that players are getting soft, but it's society has gotten soft, right? And all of a sudden, there's, a, you know, what Mike Babcock did with, with Mitch Marner. That was, that was dumb. I, I don't understand what the thinking was trying to do that to the kid. But it's just, it's, it's, it's tactics. It's coaches trying different ways to get guys going. You, you kick a player in the ass. I don't know. I grew up in a time where, I took a few beatings from my dad, and I think I became better for it. Is it something I would do to my kids? Absolutely not. We have to evolve. And again, I, I know it's boring, but I keep going back to it's just it's the way the times are right now. So everything you do has to be you have to be careful. You have to be a little more calculated. You've got to talk to people. Everybody has you know you got to talk to people with feelings. You know. You don't want to trigger anxiety. You don't want to trigger depression. You've got to listen. You've got to talk. You've got to understand each person individually. And it wasn't like that. Um, do you think hockey players are happy what Akeem Alou did? I, I think the hockey culture is still strong. So I, I would I would guess the majority of players in the NHL um, 
aren't, aren't happy when players are coming out and talking about these things. And again, the Akeem Alou and Bill Peters, I don't even put it in that category. But when you're talking about things that happen in the dressing room or something a coach says to you that you're not happy about, I think there's a segment of, of players, um, for the most part, that don't care for that stuff to be coming out. I think the sanctity of the locker room is still something that's very important to players. But I guess what what is that line? And Dano, uh, you know, looking forward to hearing what you have to say. You know, uh, in terms of society being soft, some people could translate it as society is improving. You know, uh, I I just don't know where the line is in terms of what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. The story is really not a new story for anybody who's played the game at any level. It doesn't even have to be hockey. It can be soccer, or basketball, or whatever you played in your community. Even growing up, you know that these things in the dressing room are just the way life is. Your coach is going to be an asshole to you. There's going to be some uh, shady and questionable behavior in the dressing room. Kids are going to be, you know, doing things that, you know, if, uh, if, uh, if their, their, their mom saw them doing, they, they'd be horrified and want to want to burn down the entire, you know, head league's office. Um, but, you know, so what happened in this situation is people became aware that weren't aware before. Maybe it started with Don Cherry. Maybe it started with the Babcock firing or guys like Mike Commodore like, to tell their story about how he was just a generally shitty person. <clears throat> but in sports, we typically look past bad behavior uh, outside of what we see on our TVs. You know, we forgive guys like Michael Vick. We forgive a lot of, uh, you know, basketball, football players that go through substance and domestic abuse problems. At the end of the day, people just want to be treated like good people. And, you know, the generation coming up behind us who make up the majority of the NHL now are these enlightened kids. They're quote-unquote wolf. They're, they're more uh, engaged with the world around them, and they know their rights, and they're, they're not going to let anybody treat them like shit anymore because they shouldn't be because they're professionals and they deserve the, the exact, uh, you know, same amount of rights that their coaches demand from their bosses and so on and so on. So, you know, Societally, things are changing, yes, we're sort of at a weird time in our lives, I guess, and what's happening around us, uh, you know, politically and geographically and with the environment and all these information, all these things are sort of, you know, happening and happening really fast. So it's, it's tough to keep up. Um, so, you know, maybe some of these are overblown. Uh, you know, I don't know what uh, Montgomery did. I don't know what Crawford did. I don't know what uh, Pete DeBorn did, but they say that was just a hockey-related uh, firing. And that's... And that's the funny thing. Now, they have to go out of their way to tell us that. Like, yeah. hey, oh, my God, Pete DeBoer actually got fired because the team was playing like shit and they needed to move on. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's yeah. how crazy it is now, too. And, 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 and the frank reality of it, these franchises are worth a lot of money. So, you know, unless you have an owner like Jerry Jones who sort of, you know, uh, dictates that sort of behavior from the top down, these are corporations that care about their image and care about their, their marketing and don't want to have to defend a guy who, you know, used the N-word or defend a guy who, yeah. you know, is kicking players on the bench. It's like, we don't need that kind of representation here. We just want you to come here and do your job, do it well, and go home. That's all we want from you. If you can't do that, you have to leave. And so, there you have it, our number three moment, the uh, firings of some prominent people in the NHL. Gentlemen, we go to the number two moment in the 2019 sports year in review and it's been a long time coming in terms of the success of tennis in this country you know i was uh, young enough to remember when a unknown tennis player by the name of daniel nestor defeated number one 
player uh, Stefan Edberg in I think it was the 1991 Davis Cup and that was a key moment and a top moment in the world of tennis for all these many years. Of course, there was a couple of blips here and there. Uh, Nestor, along with Sebastian Laroe, for example, won doubles gold in the Sydney Olympics. Here comes Bianca Andrescu, a teenager who, out of nowhere, not only won uh, the uh, Open at Indian Wells, but also uh, the Rogers Cup here in Toronto and the U.S. Open. Guys, was was this perfect timing? Was this, I mean, you know, she was then uh, referred to as She the North. Uh, now, everything, especially uh, in the uh, days and weeks leading after, it was all about Andrescu. Tony, uh, start with yourself. How how much of a now role model is this 19-year-old kid in terms of developing the sport of tennis in this country? Well, it's, it's, it's huge, and it, it, of course it's up to her. I mean, we saw, uh, what's her name? See, I'm, I'm already saying what's her name. We saw Jeannie Bouchard have great success in a short time, and, and it, you know, she became the Anna Kornikova of our time. You know, thank God for Instagram or she'd be irrelevant. So it's up to her at the end of the day. But the moment, the moment was unbelievable. I, I think she'll continue to win because she just, you, you watch the way she competes. She's a beast and she's fearless and she hits the ball hard and she comes back even harder after making mistakes. And you can see the emotions on her face. She's there, she's engaged, she cares. I loved watching her play throughout, not just throughout that turn, but, you know, stepping into the, squared circle, if you will, against Serena and, and having zero fear, uh, which is funny. She was on that Serge Ibaka halftime thing uh, Christmas Day. Yep. And she was talking about how nervous she was. You wouldn't know it the way she was conducting herself. But uh, moving forward, it's up to her because she's she's a celebrity now. She's, she's going to get a lot of money through endorsements. She's going to get a lot of attention outside of tennis. Um, how she chooses to work with that moving forward, I think is the key to her having sustained success as a tennis player, because we've seen it before. Uh, people come and go, men, women, all the time. Um, but I, I, I have a good feeling she's going to stick around for a while. Yeah, Tony's kind of nailed it on the head where now she's got to prove that she is a legit contender, a legit player in the, um, in the world, because she's having her moment, and maybe her moment's just about uh, faded now. And that'll never take away the great moment she had. And, and the thing with the U.S. Open, too, was I'm self-admitted not a tennis fan. But it was one of those moments where you hear about the Rogers Cup and she makes it to the finals and, and you hear that, that she won, albeit by uh, default. And you start to recognize the name and then you start seeing her in the papers and on TV and all over the Internet. And then the U.S. Open, one of the biggest tournaments in the world, rolled around. And, you know, and, she's, and, she's, and she's staying hot. And, and the story is she's, she's won this many games in a row. She's beaten this many, you know, top five players in the world. And you start to, to feel the buzz behind it. You start to feel that that energy, that sort of magic, that, that sort of, we, we talked about Vladdy earlier, where Vladdy captured it in an evening. But Bianca, you know, it was a slow burn. It was almost like a month-long or a few-week-long process where we followed this unknown girl to, you know, what we hope isn't her peak, but, you know, the peak of her life definitely so far, to go that far and then to ultimately beat uh, Goliath, you know, in New York on the world stage, uh, it, it, was, it was incredible. Um, you know, the 
aftermath is maybe a bit overblown, and maybe, a, you know, but that's just celebrity life and, you know, and, and work credit to her. Uh, people got swept up in the, uh, you, know, you know, she's a, she's a young, good-looking girl. She, you know, she's got all this promise. She's beat all these people of, of record, and it's, a, it's definitely a great story. And uh, it just, uh, <clears throat> like Tony said, you just hope that she uh, sustained it now and enjoys herself a nice, long career. Uh, and can really cement herself as one of the great contenders, not only in Canada, but, you know, internationally. Like, the three of us can... Uh, say that we were very intrigued about uh, her progression into especially the U.S. Open. But, you know, I felt the same way when uh, Bouchard uh, made uh, the Wimbledon final. Same with Milos Raonic. Now he's been uh, uh, hurt hard by injuries and so on. But it seems that you uh, and Canada can, I don't know if push aside is the right term, but you have people like Andrescu and don't forget Denis Shapovalov. Felix Oj Aliassime is uh, doing some very good things, of course, on the uh, the men's side of things. How far do you think tennis can evolve? And is there a possibility that this could be a sport where a lot more uh, Canadians will participate in? No. Over the long haul, it, 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 it's not uh, it's just not a sport that's uh, inclusive enough. Uh, soccer gained a lot of traction after World Cups, and you know trends very well after big moments like that because all you need is a ball. You just got to find yourself a piece of grass or a piece of cement, then you can start playing tennis. Uh, is still a little bit of an elitist sport. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the average person sees themselves as uh, accessible to that world. So, short answer, no. Tony? I, I agree 100%. It's um, the niche thing, I guess. I mean, I love tennis. Uh, I, I used to watch it a lot more than, than I do now, but it's just because, you know, you only have so much time in the day when you're a father and stuff, you can't watch everything anymore. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree 100%. And it's, it, you know, if she can keep winning and, and, and become something special, yeah, you're going to get that attention. But uh, I don't know how much interest we'll have on, you know, the 16-year-old junior on the way up, you know, unless you're listening to Aces with Roger Lejoie on a Sunday evening at, you know, 9 p.m. on the fan. Previous Is that a real show? Yeah, yeah. Well, Aces is a real show. Yeah, it is. I didn't know Roger Lajoie was the host of it, but Tom Tebbett was a contributor. Yeah. Did you? So, Tony, did you report to Roger Lajoie when you were an intern at the Fan? I did not. I did produce his show a couple of times. I actually got an. In, I got a few interviews for him, which he played on the air. So I'm very proud of that. Hey, right on. Good for you. It is something uh, to. Uh, I guess observe over the years because as and as we go forward, especially if Andrescu, Shapovalov, OJ Aliassim uh, make uh, their mark and continue to succeed, of course, uh, it'll. I don't know about your communities, and of course, uh, tennis courts are not as accessible as, say, soccer pitches, but it only takes a couple of Canadians. You know, you take a look at uh, a country like Belgium, who had uh, Anand Hardin and Kim Clijsters. Uh, you know, rise through the ranks and uh, did uh, uh, put Belgium on the map in terms of uh, tennis, especially back then. Uh, you know, of course, now these days, off, I think uh, Angelique Kerber is, uh, I think there is a, a footprint, say, like a, some influence in terms of that country. But, you know, you take a look at Sweden. As I mentioned, Stefan Edberg, there were uh, a couple of people from the, that country as well. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's that easy to dismiss tennis as being niche 
Um, time will tell, I guess. But we've seen it kind of go up and down, for, you know, in my lifetime, as it pertains to just, you know, Canadians. Um, but, yeah, we've never had somebody who's won a, a major before, so maybe it could be different. Maybe you're right. I don't, you know, just living in Canada as long as we have been, which is all our lives, uh, we understand how it works here, and that's why I don't see it, you know, being as huge as you might expect it to be. I'd imagine that she would inspire somebody to, you know, see tennis as a viable option or to even think that it's not as, I don't know, whatever the hell kids think, if it's cool enough to actually play tennis. Like, like those stories will be great, and I'm sure that she will inspire a lot of people to uh, learn about the game, maybe uh, you know, be a little more involved or maybe play themselves. But, you know, given our demographics in Canada, you know, rugby and cricket probably have uh, more of a chance of becoming more popular with the younger generation than tennis does. Well, it definitely is a good problem to have that uh, this country is experiencing a lot of success in the world of sports that's outside uh, the game of hockey. Bianca Andrescu and her success in 2019 is our number two uh, moment for uh, the 2019 year in review show here on What's Up the Sports podcast. So, fellas, we are at uh, the number one position. And surprise, surprise, it was Toronto FC making MLS Cup. No, of course, it was the Toronto Raptors uh, winning. Hey, their f- had, had they won that game, it would be my cup. That's for sure. Yeah, well, hey, you and me both. I mean, like, I, well, I don't know if it would be number one, but it was definitely uh, cool to see uh, – uh, TFC making it to MLS Cup uh, for sure, and the uh, of course the inventor of the game of basketball, Dr. James Naismith, being Canadian, and uh, the uh, Larry O'Brien Award for the first time coming north of that border to uh, Toronto, the Raptors winning the NBA championship. Guys, who wants to start? It was unreal. It was an unreal ride. It was incredible. Um, I, I, I worked there part-time, so I was part of uh, Game 1. I was there. I worked Game 1 and Game 5, and just the atmosphere in there just felt different. I, you know, it, it was just it was unbelievable. The, the happenings, it was just inside Scotiabank Arena, the back, you know, back of the house, you know, backstage set up, uh, media, the amount of media that was there, um, just the feeling you had as you're walking into the arena. It was, it, it was unforgettable, something I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget. And they did it. They pulled it off. And it, it, just, it just just created so many emotions. And I think, you know, with the demographic being what it is, like, Dan, you brought up on a couple of occasions now, which is so important. In many ways, I think you we probably had more cultures celebrate this than what we'd get if the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. I, would you agree with that? I don't know. Yeah, I would think a Raptors championship versus the Leafs Stanley Cup would uh, be celebrated more nationally for sure. Uh, just because of That's for you know, sure, yeah. who's, who's watching who's playing the game. You know, the, this Toronto Raptors fan base has been through a lot in its, in its history. Yeah. And again, this is sort of a big, you know, release of explosion and euphoria. And again, just you know, to beat the Warriors as well, just, you know, that team that sort of represented dominance for the past, you know, five, six years in the league. And to get to Minnesota, uh, uh, not Minnesota, was it Milwaukee, and to, to have, the, you know, beat the 76ers the way you did in Game 7, there were so many moments along the way uh, 
backwoods of uh, Manitoba, you know, exactly in southern BC and Richmond. It was all over the place. And you don't know, talk about there, there's only one team to, to root for in the NBA if you're a Canadian basketball fan. This is for all the Vancouver Grizzly fans. This is for all the you know D League uh, you know, Regina fans and Calgary you know high school basketball fans. This was a, this was a really significant uh, national moment that you just can't deny the the effect it had on people. Uh, you know, I haven't had the, the privilege to be uh, in the arena like Tony has, but I, you know, I went to some Leaf playoff games as sort of a parallel. And even then, the atmosphere is different. And, you know, there, there's a real sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of, you know, we're in this together that you don't really get a lot of big cities. Uh, you know, so I, I'd imagine if that sort of thing was happening here in Toronto, Canada's biggest city, and I'm positive it was happening everywhere else. And it's just it's fantastic. There's, there's, no, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, you know, the the one thing uh, that I guess uh, jumped out more than me was the fact that, of course, the Raptors won the NBA championship in the middle of June, but the playoffs started in the beginning in the middle of April. So here you have a two month process, and of course, uh, Leaf fans hadn't experienced a two month uh, playoff drive to uh, the Holy Grail, the uh, the the championship of that league. And, you know, of course, Tony being a big-time uh, Penguins uh, bandwagon jumper, he, he has known firsthand that the, uh, and has experienced that the, uh, how long it takes for, uh, you know, your team to go through the motions and to go through each round, four rounds, to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I was exhausted. I watched every game, went to my in-laws' house all the time, like, I mean, exhausted in a figurative sense, of course, but... Uh, do you think that the country would be captivated again, like especially when it comes to the Raptors? Because it goes without saying that nationally, yeah, sure, there's uh, Leaf fans all over the place, but every uh, uh, person, every Canadian was cheering for the Raptors. And it was even more than, than Canadians. There was a lot of Americans who just didn't want to see the Warriors win again. So they all backed Toronto as well. So there was a real movement. There was a real, you know, now the time for the little guy. It kind of felt to me like uh, we were Indiana, or what, when, what Indiana was supposed to be a few years ago, or maybe even close to a decade ago, where they had that really good team and they made it to the finals. Uh, they didn't really have an all-star, and everybody just kind of wanted them to beat.
uh, you know, uh, like Randy said, it was just it was exhausting. But you know, you would absolutely do that fight again, over and over and over again, for what it felt like, uh, you know, at the end of the day. So there you have it. Uh, you know, did we uh, get it right? We had uh, talked about a number of uh, items here, uh, building our top five for uh, sports moments of the decade. Love to get your thoughts as well. If you think if you think we missed anything, love to hear you at What's Up Podcast on both Facebook and Twitter. So guys, love to take a moment and talk about the decade as uh, as a whole. You know, so many moments to uh, consider. And I, officially, I don't even know uh, what you guys think are top moments of the decade. Uh, Tony, uh, floor is yours. How, what do you think was the top sporting moment of the uh, past 10 years in the world in uh, the world of sports? Oh, well, I, well, I, I can't give you one. Right, I mean, is this personal? Is this Canadian? I like what? What's the criteria here? Well, you know what? Uh, the floor is yours, so it's uh, totally up to you. And uh, you know, knowing your line of thinking, Dano and I will probably disagree with you. Obviously, the golden goal to kick things off uh, the decade uh, was huge. The, the Vancouver Olympics uh, actually was, I think, was a coming out party for Canadian athletics as well. I mean, there was. You know, the Own the Podium program was huge, uh, and, and it's just we got the most medals we've ever had as a country. So just the beginning of the decade there was was massive. Um, on a personal level, I mean, obviously the back-to-back cups for the Penguins, the TFC, I, I, you know, I know it's MLS, but for me, it's been a season ticket holder since day one. Those runs, the Blue Jay runs, some amazing Champions League uh, games over the last decade, like four nothing leads, six nothing leads, comebacks from aggregates. Barcelona, I could think of Barcelona. Ajax was a great run last year. Real Madrid dominated the decade with with Champions League titles. Messi versus Ronaldo. I, you know, I'm jumping all over the place. I'm sorry. The, the New England Patriots comeback against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. That was huge. The, the interception, Seattle versus New England. Um, I can go on and on. I mean, those were some of my highlights. Dana? Uh, one that jumped out, and you know, Tony alluded to the success story, the underdog story. Leicester City is, is, is one that, you know, I don't think anybody would have oh, ever imagined yes. happening. And I actually had a league like that where, you know, money dominates the top of that table year in, year out, in the same way with a lot of European leagues. So to see a team win, I don't know if they were 5,000 to one before the season started, with a yep. bunch of nobodies and made stars out of Jamie Barty and other guys. It was just, and to captivate North America the way it did as well, is just a, a huge, huge story and then one that uh, uh, was, was a lot of fun to watch, especially for uh, you know people that don't get exposure to uh, league soccer as much as they should. Well, and, you know, you guys bring up some incredible... Sorry, and in true soccer fashion, uh, I believe their coach was fired, what, Eight games into the next season, or oh, a couple months into the next season, when things weren't going well, it's, you know, yeah, talk about setting the bar high, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. You know, you guys bring up some great, uh, great examples. Tony, uh, Tony, and I have definitely have run into each other a couple of times at BMO Field. Uh, you know, I'm not a season seat holder, but I've been to a number of games. Had games had the privilege to go to both MLS Cups. And uh, the, this past year when TFC made uh, MLS Cup would have been so wonderful to update my jersey uh, and get, uh, of course, a shirt with the second star. But, you know, you guys bring up uh, 
Daniel, you uh, bring up Leicester City, which is such a great underdog story. And uh, you guys went and uh, rifled off all of these great examples and did not bring up the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series after over a century of not making the uh, the World Series. To me, I think, uh, and Tony, you alluded to it earlier, I think it was all about the Vancouver Olympics. We had... That was fun. That it, was so much fun. Absolutely. I wasn't there, but I felt like I was there. I was having so much fun watching it. Yeah, and I think it started with Alexander Bilodeau. Here's a guy who, and yeah, sure, maybe he was the beneficiary of a, of a schedule which allowed him to contend for that medal in the first couple of days but you know own the podium and you think of the fact that canada won the uh, most uh, gold medals for uh, a host country and you know just springboarded a different mindset in terms of we are canadian we are more than just hockey yeah and, and, uh, and it's a, like the atmosphere the walk through whistler like john montgomery grabbing a pitcher of beer and sucking it down I mean, even Wayne Gretzky being there, I mean, I, I guess I was okay with that, too. Um, I know he had a malfunction, which was funny, but anyway, well, I'm, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, I mean, but uh, to that, though, you, the whole malfunction of the opening ceremonies of the Vancouver Olympics, I mean, that was what international sports was in this country. You think about Calgary in 1988. You think about Montreal in 1976. We did not win an Olympic medal. The Montreal Olympics has left that city in utter ruins. It took over 30 years to pay off those uh, those games. But Vancouver was something completely different. And much like basketball and the Raptors, there's a new benchmark and expectations for international sports in this country. It was done the right way, too. I mean, nothing is rotting, as far as I know. I mean, GM Place, or what's it called now, Rogers? Rogers Arena, Rogers yeah, Place. It's like called, yeah, Rogers something. Um, there, you know, obviously that's still in use. And BC Place was uh, where they opened. So it didn't seem like they spent a boatload of money like some of these other host cities do. Um, I don't hear any stories, and the residual effect from it has been has been fantastic. And, uh, and as much as uh, Vancouver was an incredible experience, uh, very quickly, I don't know if uh, anybody else wants to chime in. I really do hope that Toronto does not get the Olympics because as far as I'm concerned, we didn't, we didn't upgrade from Skydome. And, and I say that, uh, by not calling it Roger center, it'll always be Skydome to me, but the Olympics in Toronto, I think will be a disaster. Let's end off on a high Pan Am games in 2015, which, Hey, was another, uh, key moment in the decade. Uh, I think that was good oh. enough. Yeah, uh, are you guys still awake? <laughs> no, I'm saying for who? Who was it? Uh, who was it a key moment for? They're still trying to finish uh, Union Station off for the Pan Am game. Yeah, well, hey, uh, to that point, well taken. But hey, we got the velodrome here in Milton, and uh, it's it served us pretty well. I thought Pan Am Games was a good experience. I actually went down to the beach volleyball event for obvious reasons, and I had a lot of fun there. Um, <laughs> I, it was. They, they had the, they had it set up by the X there, and they had a nice little like um, I don't even know what you call it. It was a gathering. They had food trucks. They had uh, uh, like a, a common area just just in the parking lot of BMO Field. 
Uh, it was exciting to be in Toronto during the Pan Am game. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Randy shitting all over the Olympics. Even being on, in traffic on the 427 because they created a new HOV lane for diplomats to get in and out of the venues. Do you have any idea how much more bigger the Olympics is going to be? It is, and like, what are we going to do with that stadium that infrastructure? To get a new Roger Center, to get a new Skydome, or to get the upgraded transit to really force the issue. You know, okay. all, it wasn't all that that came out of the panic. So, oh, oh. the guy, the guy who doesn't live in Toronto. Yeah. I used to. I used. I still miss it in Toronto. Well, <laughs> I don't even know where I live now. Oh. Oh, well, hey, I, 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 well, and all the best to you in terms of finding out the answer to that. But you know, you take a look at uh, uh, the city of Atlanta. They spent uh, all that money to build an eighty thousand seat Olympic stadium. Then they uh, reduced it to fifty thousand, and the Braves played there for like twenty minutes. And now they're playing in a new stadium. You have Mercedes Benz over there, and I'm not saying that Toronto's going to be as uh, free spending and uh, irresponsible as maybe a city like that, but yeah, sure, let's get a new stadium for the Blue Jays, but we don't need an 80,000 seat stadium. We're not getting the NFL anytime soon. No, well, we can do things in a, in a truly Canadian way where, uh, you know, as long as we have a new premiere by the time that the Olympics are, are granted for Toronto, then we'll be fine. You know, it, it, our, our, our ski slopes, our tourism could use it. You know, we are. Uh, what ski slopes? Blue Mountain? <laughs> I think it would be a summer Olympics if we were to get. The Olympics. No, I, I probably, don't think you're probably right. Okay, summer. Yeah. Summer. So even then, yeah. you know, there's a lot of infrastructure, even up where I live in, in Timco yeah. and Vaughan and the Barkham, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built and uh, you know, a lot of transit that needs to be built. So maybe the Olympics is just the excuse we need to really bring the GTA together. And, and I think it'd be, uh, you know, given the right management, like you said, I'm not a, a city bookkeeper by any stretch or a city planner, so I, I can't speak to these things with any kind of authority. But as long as the right people are in charge making the right decisions, I think it could be a great thing. I think that's the key. I, I, I don't trust the idiots um, who would uh, be in charge of this. You know, I, I, it just seems like whatever people who, you know, run Toronto are doing these days just isn't working. Is it just me or just, just it doesn't seem like anybody knows what the hell they're doing. So it, it would really, really worry me. Yeah, it feels like we might be spilling it to a, to a different show, but, but uh, yeah, 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 but you know, sure. given, given the right circumstances, uh, I would, uh, would definitely be on board with Toronto hosting. Okay. Hey, fair enough. Uh, so to that guys, just very quickly, I don't know how you could, uh, confirm uh, athlete of the decade, but, uh, let's uh, quickly take a moment and acknowledge a couple of people who, uh, definitely made the last 10 years, uh, one to remember and, uh, have developed. There's been a lot of legendary moments and a lot of legendary athletes who really capitalized during the last 10 years. Daniel, we'll start with you. Uh, anybody jump out of the page? LeBron. I kind of almost hate to say because it, it sounds obvious, it sounds cliche, but uh, you know, the guy's been the perfect role model for, uh, for kids, for the sport, and growing the sport. And on top of that, he's been one of the most dominant figures in the NBA in, in its history. You know, I don't want to go down the, is he better than MJ or is he better than Kareem debates because they're irrelevant. But what he's done for the game for himself, the good and the bad, and the eye that he had on, you know, the whole way uh, is is, uh, is remarkable. So, I, you know, hats off to him for uh, for growing himself and his brand into what it's become. And, to, you know, now starring in Space Jam 2 to, you know, all these endorsements. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Figures. He's a guy that sort of, he he always knew where he was, he always knew what he was doing, and he was always doing things that impressed you. He's been consistent throughout his career, you know, and the 
the last 10 years notwithstanding, um, or, you know, inclusive to that. So, yeah, I think you have to give it to a guy like LeBron. Something tells me Tony's going to disagree. Oh, no, I don't disagree. He deserves uh, he deserves to be in the conversation, absolutely. And if he was voted athlete of the decade, I wouldn't argue it either. He's been, and it's not just on the court, his, you know, everything. His influence on and off the court is, is unbelievable reach he has around the world. And, look, he, he performs on the basketball court. That's the most important thing. Do you perform? Uh, Usain Bolt has been an unreal athlete, uh, winning as much as he had. Now, I know that his first run started in 2008, but, you know, he had two Olympics in the last decade, which uh, worked out pretty well for him. Um, last, so I, I like Usain Bolt. I mean, obviously, Sid is everything is advertised in, in his sport. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, you can pick quite a few of them. Like, is it uh, hard to make a case for a guy like Sidney Crosby because, and Tom Brady for that matter, because Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby seem to be extremely visible here in North America. LeBron James has taken it uh, globally. So, oh, I, like, I, I wouldn't say that they deserve to be the athlete of the decade. I'm just saying they. They dominated their sports for a decade. Uh, that's all I'm saying. As, as their sports, the league, they, they play in the best leagues in the world, right? The NFL is the best league in the world uh, in football, and the NHL is the best. They dominated the sport for that decade. That's all I'm saying. I mean, obviously, if you're going to take all the other factors into it, of course. I mean, LeBron's just got a bigger reach. Yeah, and you know, just the uh, what uh, both LeBron and Sid uh, accomplished in the past ten years, especially LeBron James has made the uh, NBA All Star Game each of the last, uh, well, ever since uh, two thousand and eight, uh, LeBron has made the uh, Stanley uh, the uh, NBA All Star Game. I have a note here. Uh, Sid has uh, made the All Star Game in from eleven to. 2015, 17, 18, 19. And then a lot of them. He sat out a couple of them. I think the concussions were the reasons for, for a couple of the other ones. Uh, he hasn't been in a lot of them, believe it or not, which is the way I like it. He doesn't have to go waste his time there. Just rest. Go to, go to Bahamas for a few days. I think that's what Ovi's doing. He's already said it. Oh, and when he uh, when the NHL suspended him and uh, Ovi said, okay, Take it easy. I'm uh, going to Cabo, wherever he went to. That was just uh, that was just absolutely gold. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I love him, I, even though I hate him. Like he's he's part of the enemy for me, but I, I love it. I love it. And, and I think in a way that's him saying, "Screw you, Gary Bettman. You screwed us out of the Olympics again. Now all of a sudden we're not having another World Cup after just just having one. I mean, screw you. I'm not coming to the game." So, guys, uh, thank you so much for that. We are actually going to take a very small break. Uh, we're going to sort of uh, recharge the batteries, if you will, and uh, uh, present to you a new segment here on What's Up the Sports podcast. Hang tight. We'll be back in a second. If you're a sports fan who may not be able to go to the game but want to experience more than just watching your team on TV, check out what Homestand Sports is organizing. Homestand Sports brings fans from neighboring communities together with live panel discussions with athletes and sportscasters to watch parties of the big game, perfect for sports enthusiasts like yourself. 
With the major sports covered like soccer, hockey, football, baseball, or basketball, you'll have a blast with the events organized by Homestand Sports. For upcoming events potentially in your area, check out homestandsports.com. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Randy Coure, Tony Antonio, and Dan Leggeri really had a great time talking about our top five as well as moments of the decade. like to present parting shots. And when we have a roundtable perspective, uh, such, as, uh, such as the three of us uh, talking about sports today, uh, hoping to end each show with an opportunity to share a couple of thoughts and opinions of a particular topic. Dan, we'll start off with you. Yeah, so I just want to go out there giving recognition to P.K. Subban. Uh, over the past decade, uh, this, is, uh, this is a young man who came into the league with a lot of, uh, a lot of hype around him, a lot of focus on him, and uh, you know, a guy who took a lot of criticism for not being what people thought he would be and uh, simply for being who he was. Uh, even in my own family, I've run into people who make comments about him that are just uh, you know, unnecessary just because of uh, you know, who he happened to be born. And uh, he's risen above it all. He's made the largest charitable donation to a children's hospital in, I think, Canadian history to out there in Montreal. Uh, he's really made a name for himself. Uh, he's, he's beloved in, in New Jersey where he plays now, and uh, uh, he's letting the world in on his, on his marriage to skier Lindsey Vaughn. And I think he just provides a great positive uh, look on life uh, and, and in the face of adversity to just you know, buckle down and do your work and, uh, you know, and sort of drown out the noise and focus on uh, on what's important to you. And I think he's done a good job and just give him a quick shout out for uh, being a wonderful human being. Tony Antonio. Uh, the sports media landscape has been in a tailspin for a while now. Newspapers are dying. A lot of talented journalists and broadcasters are losing their jobs. Content seems to be repetitive and boring. We live in a world of loud, obnoxious people screaming out hot takes at the top of their lungs, at the top of their lungs. And, it, and it's, become a little annoying. 2019, we saw legendary figures being pushed out the door like Bob McCallan and Bob Cole. Um, you could add guys like Nick Kiprios, Doug McClain, Michael Farber, uh, Kevin Allen, who was a longtime sports writer for the USA Today, just a couple of weeks ago was let go as well. So it's tough, you know, I, and you realize that all good things, you know, come to an end, but the problem is what we are left with now seems to be subpar. And, you know, you look at Rogers, they grossly overpaid for the National Hockey League rights in 2013, and that so-called victory has since cost hundreds of jobs, and the Canadian hockey fan was kind of like amateur coverage of our game, uh, you know, and it's a shame. I, you know, I long for the good old days of simplicity, simple is better, but I'm afraid we'll never get that again. As for me, Joel Embiid is an NBA star for the Philadelphia 76ers, who wears his heart on his sleeve, be it on the court or social media, and of course was the ire of criticism from basketball fans when he performed an airplane celebration during Game 3 of the 2019 Eastern Semifinals and elaborately hyped up his hometown fans in Philadelphia as if he was wrestling superstar Hulk Hogan. But when Toronto and pretty much all of Canada leapt in euphoria after Kawhi Leonard hit that iconic shot during Game 7 eliminating Embiid's 76ers, it was a dejected Embiid who stayed on the court, 
congratulated each of the eventual NBA champs, acknowledging defeat, which did lead him to bawling his eyes out as he made his way back to the locker room. What I immediately thought then and to this day is that Joel Embiid is everything pure and right in sports. Sports is competitive. Sports is emotional. But more importantly, sports is fun. And it drives me absolutely insane when media and fans criticize the likes of Embiid, Jordan Spieth for chest bumping his caddy, and whatever P.K. Subban has up his extroverted hockey mind. It's easy to puff out our chest when we win, but having the class to wish the team the best to whoever beats you in competition makes a winner out of everybody. Dan, Tony, once again, I can't thank you enough for joining me here today. I really had a lot of fun. Uh, guys, you going to come back here one day? No. Aw. Yes, yes, I'll be there. One day. One day? Uh, oh, absolutely. This, this was fun. I hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, for sure. Dan, uh, it was really great to uh, hook up with you. Uh, you know, after all these years, I, Tony has uh, been a contributor a couple of times, and you know, just really thankful for both of you for uh, you know participating. And I really hope that we get to do this again soon. It's my pleasure, Randy. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in a quick moment. Just have a couple of things to tie a bow on. This is what's up, the sports podcast. Again, our thanks to Tony Antonio and Dan Leggeri for joining me in taking a look back at the past year and past decade in the world of sports. It was an absolute blast, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I can only hope that we can organize another day and time in the future for another roundtable discussion regarding the big news of the world of sports. So, scheduled on February 6th, I'll be talking with Sam Davis, who was a part of Homestand Sports. Now, if you haven't heard of Homestand Sports, you'll want to tune in as they take the natural elements of the game shown on TV and enhance it to an event that any big sports fan will enjoy. So, Sam Davis of Homestand Sports, scheduled on February 6th, right here on What's Up the Sports podcast. So just before we sign off, I have to thank a number of people who insisted, uh, who assisted in these early months, excuse me, of uh, this program. I have to thank Tony for the number of times that he has uh, contributed on this show. And to my friend Jason Kennedy, who gave me some direction on how to best deploy this podcast, not to mention all the other uh, guests that we have had on this show over the past few months. To my family for their support, and of course, Mike Abadzidis, the Abadzi Project, for allowing me to use his incredible track, Oh What a Night, as essentially the anthem for uh, this podcast. Lastly, I have to thank my perfect wife, Marisa, for her love and support and believing in me that I could actually do something like this. There isn't a lot of people who have the support like I do, and Marisa, I am always grateful. So onward and upward and here's hoping for great things to you and yours here in 2020. As we sign off, we'll play Oh What a Night from the Abatsi Project in its entirety. I'm Randy Kure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Happy New Year and we'll talk to you next time.
of your voice It's what keeps me alive I keep calling I get no replies Why are you out all night? Your place is here Let's do what's right And end this tonight Oh, one night Right when you're by my 